0: Hello everyone, I'm Kathleen Pelly. Welcome to the special omnibus edition of Journey with Story, where you can listen to all of this month's episodes, one after the other. And just so you know, there will be no special intro for the individual stories, no added details and no shout outs. If you want to hear all of those, then you'll need to listen to the individual episodes and not this version. Got it? Oh, Mums, dads, grown ups, you can download some free colouring sheets at our website www.journeywithstory.com. Let's take an omnibus journey with story. Now, let's take a journey with Old Sultan by the Brothers Grimm. And in case you haven't heard that word before, Sultan, it is just Another name for a kind of a king or a royal ruler. A farmer had a faithful dog named Sultan, who had grown old and lost all his teeth and could no longer hold on to anything. One day the farmer was standing with his wife before the house door and said,
1: "'Tomorrow I intend to shoot old Sultan. He is no longer of any use.'
0: His wife, who felt pity for the faithful animal, answered, He has served us so long and been so faithful that we might well give him his keep.
1: What? said the man. You are not very bright. He doesn't have a tooth left in his mouth and no thief is afraid of him. He can go now. If he has served us, he has eaten well for it.
0: The poor dog, who was lying stretched out in the sun not far off, heard everything, and was sorry that tomorrow was to be his last day. He had a good friend, the wolf, and he crept out in the evening into the forest to him and complained of the fate.
1: Listen, kinsman, said the wolf. Be of good cheer. I will help you out of your trouble. I have thought of something. Tomorrow, early in the morning, your master is going with his wife to make hay, and they will take their little child with them, for no one will be left behind in the house. While they are at work, they lay the child behind the hedge in the shade. You lie down there too, just as if you wanted to guard it. Then I will come out of the woods and carry off the child, You must run swiftly after me, as if you would take it away from me. I will let it fall, and you will take it back to its parents, who will think that you have rescued it, and will be far too grateful to do you any harm. On the contrary, you will be treated royally, and they will never let you want for anything again.
0: This idea pleased the dog, and it was carried out just as planned. The father screamed when he saw the wolf running across the field with his child. But when old Sultan brought it back,
1: he was full of joy and stroked him and said, Not a hair of yours shall be hurt. "'You shall eat free bread as long as you live.' "'To his wife he said, "'Go home at once and make old Sultan some bread soup "'that he will not have to bite, "'and bring the pillow from my bed. "'I will give it to him to lie on.' "'From then on old Sultan was as well off as he could possibly wish.'
0: Soon afterwards the wolf visited him and was pleased that everything had succeeded so well.
1: (laughs) But kinsman, he said, you will just close one eye if, if, when I have a chance, uh, I carry off one of your master's fat sheep.
0: Oh, don't count on that, answered the dog. I will remain true to my master. I cannot agree to that. The wolf thought that this was not spoken in earnest. And he crept up in the night to take away the sheep. But the farmer, to whom the faithful sultan had told the wolf's plan, was waiting for him and combed his hair cruelly with a flail. The wolf had to flee, and he cried out to the dog,
1: Just wait, you scoundrel, you'll regret this. <laughs>
0: The next morning, the wolf sent the boar to challenge the dog to come out into the forest and settle the affair. Old Sultan could find no one to be his second but a cat with only three legs. And as they went out together, the poor cat limped along, stretching its tail upward with pain. The wolf and his friend were already at the appointed place, but when they saw their enemy coming... They thought that he was bringing a sword with him for they mistook the cat's outstretched tail for one. And when the poor animal hopped on three legs, they thought that each time it was picking up a stone to throw at them. Then they took fright. The wild boar crept into the underbrush and the wolf jumped up a tree. As the dog and the cat approached, they wondered why no one was to be seen. The wild boar, however, had not been able to hide himself completely in the leaves. His ears were still sticking out. While the cat was looking cautiously about, the boar wiggled his ears. And the cat, who thought it was a mouse, jumped on it and bit down hard. The boar jumped up screaming
1: loudly the guilty one is up in the tree. The dog and cat looked up and saw the wolf
0: who was ashamed for having shown such fear and who then made peace with the dog. Take a journey with Why the Back Door Was Front. In the days when there were no books or writing, and folk tales were the only ones told, there was an old woman who had a bad reputation. She pretended to be very poor so as not to attract or tempt robbers. Yet those who knew her best knew also. "'as a subject of common talk, "'that she was always counting out her coins. "'Besides this, she lived in a nice house, "'and it was believed that she made a living "'by stealing babies out of their cradles "'to sell to the bad fairies. "'It was a matter of rumour "'that she would, for an extra-large sum, "'take a wicked fairy's ugly brat "'and put it in the place of a mother's darling.' In addition to these horrid charges against her, it was rumoured that she laid a spell or charm on the cattle of people whom she did not like, in order to take revenge on them. The old woman denied all this and declared it was only silly gossip of envious people who wanted her money. She lived so comfortably she averred because her son, who was a stonemason who made much money by building chimneys, which had then first come into fashion. When he brought to her the profits of his jobs, she counted the coins, and because of this, some people were jealous and told bad stories about her. She declared that she was thrifty, but neither a miser nor a kidnapper nor a witch. One day, this old woman wanted more feathers to stuff into her bed to make it softer and feel more pleasant for her old bones to rest upon. For what she slept on was nearly worn through so she went to a farm where they were plucking geese and asked for a few handfuls of feathers but the rich farmer's people refused and ordered her out of the farmyard shortly after this event the cows of this farmer who was opposed to chimneys and did not like her or her son suffered dreadfully from the disease called the black quarter as they had no horse doctors or professors of animal economy or veterinarians in those days, many of the cows died. The rich farmer lost much money, for he had now no milk or beef to sell. At once he suspected that his cattle were bewitched and that the old woman had cast a spell on them. In those days it was very easy to think such a thing. So the angry man went one day to the old woman when she was alone and her stout son was away in a distant job. He told her to remove the charm which she had laid on his beasts or he would tie her arms and legs together and pitch her into the river. The old woman denied vehemently that she possessed any such powers had ever practiced such black arts to make sure of it the farmer made her say out loud the blessing of god be upon your cattle to clinch the matter he compelled her to repeat the lord's prayer which she was able to do without missing one syllable she used the form of words which are not found in the prayer book but are in the bible and was very earnest when she prayed forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors but after all that trouble and the rough way which the rich farmer took to save his cattle his efforts were in vain in spite of that kind of religion which he professed which was shown by bullying a poor old woman his cattle were still sick with no sign of improvement he was at his wits end to know what to do next now as we have said This was about the time that chimneys came into fashion. In the very old days, this house was a round hut with a thatched roof without glass windows, and the smoke got out through the door and holes in the walls in the best way it could. The only tapestry in the hut was in the shape of long festoons of soot that hung from the roof or rafters. These, when the wind blew or the fire was lively, would swing or dance or whirl and often fall on the heads or into the food while the folks were eating. When the children cried or made wry faces at the black stuff, their daddy only laughed and said it was healthy or was for good luck. But by and by the carpenters and masons made much improvement, especially when, instead of flint hatchets, they had iron axes and tools. Then they hewed down trees that had thick cross branches and set up columns in the centre and made timber walls and rafters, and then the house was square or oblong. In other words, these Welsh folks squared the circle. Now they began to have lattices and much later even glass windows. They removed the fireplace from the middle of the floor and set it at the end of the house opposite the door and built chimneys. Then they set the beds at the side and made sleeping rooms. This was done by stretching curtains between partitions. They had also a loft into which they kept odds and ends. They hung up the bacon and hams and strings of onions and made a mantelpiece over the fireplace. They even began to decorate the walls with pictures and to set pewter dishes, china cats and dressed shepherds in rows on the shelves for ornaments. Now people wore shoes, and the floor, instead of being muddy or dusty with pools and puddles of water in the time of rainy weather, and with the pigs and the chickens running in and out, was of clay, beaten down flat and hard, and neatly whitewashed at the edges. Outside in front were laid nice, flat flagstones that made a pleasant path to the front door. Flowers inside and out added to the beauty of the home, and made perfume for those who loved them. The rich farmer had just left his old round hut and now lived in one of the new and better kind of houses, and he was very proud of his chimney, which he had built higher than any of his neighbours. But he could not be happy while so many of his cows were sick or dying. Besides, he was envious of other people's prosperity and cared nothing when they too suffered. One night, while he was standing in front of his fine house and wondering why he must be vexed with so many troubles, He talked to himself and, speaking out loud, said,
1: "'Why don't my cows get well?'
0: "'I will tell you,' said a voice behind him. It seemed halfway between a squeak and a growl. He turned round and there he saw a little angry man. He was dressed in red and stood hardly as high as the farmer's knee. The little old man glared at the big fellow and cried out in a high tone of voice,
2: You must change your habits of disposing of your garbage for other people have chimneys besides you.
1: What has that to do with sickness among my cows?
2: Much indeed. Your family is the cause of your troubles, for they throw all their slops down my chimney and put out my fire.
0: The farmer was puzzled beyond the telling, for he owned all the land within a mile and he knew of no house in sight your foot
2: on mine and then you will have the power of vision to see clearly
0: the farmer's big boot was at once placed on the little man's slipper and when he looked down he almost laughed at the contrast in size what was his real surprise when he saw that the slops thrown out of his house did actually fall down and besides the contents of the full bucket when emptied kept on dripping into the chimney of a house, which stood far below, but which he had never seen before. But as soon as he took his foot off that, and off the tiny little man, he saw nothing. Everything like a building vanished as in a dream.
1: I see that my family have done wrong and injured yours. Pray forgive me, I'll do what I can to make amends for it. It's
2: no matter now, if you only do as I ask you. Shut up your front door, build a wall in its place, and then my family will not suffer from yours.
0: The rich farmer thought all this was very funny, and he had a hearty laugh over it all. Yet he did exactly as the little man in the red cloak had so politely asked him. "'He walled up the old door at the front "'and built another at the back of the house, "'which opened out into the garden. "'Then he made the path on which to go in "'from the roadway to the threshold, "'around the corners and over a longer line of flagstones. "'Then he removed the fireplace and chimney "'to what had been the front side of the house, "'but was now the back. "'For the next thing he had a copper door sill nailed down, "'which his housemaid polished until it shone as bright as gold. "'Yet long before this his cows had got well and they now gave more and richer milk than ever before he became the wealthiest man in the district his children all grew up to be fine looking men and women his grandsons were famous engineers and introduced paving and drainage in the towns so that today for both man and beast Wills is one of the healthiest of countries. Now, let's take a journey with The White Snake by the Brothers Grimm. A long time ago there lived a king who was famed for his wisdom through all the land. Nothing was hidden from him, and it seemed as if news of the most secret things was brought to him through the air. But he had a strange custom... Every day after dinner, when the table was cleared and no one else was present, a trusty servant had to bring him one more dish. It was covered, however, and even the servant did not know what was in it. Neither did anyone know, for the king never took off the cover to eat of it until he was quite alone. This had gone on for a long time when one day the servant who took away the dish was overcome with such curiosity that he could not help carrying the dish into his room. When he had carefully locked the door, he lifted up the cover and saw a white snake lying on the dish. But when he saw it, he could not deny himself the pleasure of tasting it. So he cut off a little bit and put it into his mouth. No sooner had it touched his tongue than he heard a strange whispering of little voices outside his window. He went and listened and then noticed that it was the sparrows who were chattering together and telling one another of all kinds of things. Which they had seen in the fields and the woods. Eating the snake had given him the power of understanding the language of animals. Now it so happened that on this very day the queen lost her most beautiful ring and suspicion of having stolen it fell upon this trusty servant who was allowed to go everywhere. "'The king ordered the man to be brought before him "'and threatened with angry words "'that unless he could before the morrow point out the thief, "'he himself should be looked upon as guilty and executed. "'In vain the servant declared his innocence "'and he was dismissed with no better answer. "'In his trouble and fear he went down into the courtyard "'and took thought of how to help himself out of his trouble.' "'Now some ducks were sitting together quietly by a brook "'and taking their rest, "'and whilst they were making their feathers smooth with their bills, "'they were having a confidential conversation together. "'The servants stood by and listened. "'They were telling one another of all the places where they had been, "'waddling about all the morning, and what good food they had found, "'and one said in a pitiful tone, "'Oh, something lies heavy on my stomach.' As I was eating in haste, I swallowed a ring which lay under the queen's window. The servant at once seized her by the neck, (coughs) carried her to the kitchen and said to the cook, Here's a fine duck. Pray, kill her. (coughs) Yes, said the cook, and weighed her in his hand. She has spared no trouble to fatten herself and has been waiting to be roasted long enough. So he cut off her head... And as she was being dressed for the spit, the queen's ring was found inside her. The servant could now easily prove his innocence, and the king, to make amends for the wrong, allowed him to ask a favour and promised him the best place in the court that he could wish for. The servant refused everything and only asked for a horse and some money for travelling. As he had a mind to see the world and go about a little. When his request was granted he set out on his way and one day he came to a pond where he saw three fishes caught in the reeds and gasping for water. Now though it is sad that fishes are dumb, he heard them lamenting that they must perish so miserably and as he had a kind heart He got off his horse and put the three prisoners back into the water. They leapt with delight, put up their heads and cried to him, We will remember you and repay you for saving us. He rode on and after a while it seemed to him that he heard a voice in the sand at his feet. He listened and heard an ant king complain. "'Why cannot folks with their clumsy beasts keep off our bodies? "'That stupid horse with his heavy hooves "'has been treading down my people without mercy.' "'So he turned onto a side path, and the Ant-King cried out to him, "'We will remember you. One good turn
1: deserves another.'
0: "'The path led him into a wood, and there he saw two old ravens standing by their nest.' and throwing out their young ones. Out with you, you idle good for nothing creatures, cried
2: they. We cannot find food for you any longer. You are big enough and can provide for yourselves.
0: But the poor young ravens lay upon the ground, flapping their wings and crying, Oh, what helpless chicks we
2: are. We must shift for ourselves and yet we cannot fly. What can we do but lie here and starve?
0: So the good young fellow alighted, and killed his horse with his sword, and gave it to them for food. Then they came hopping up to it, satisfied their hunger, and cried, ''We will remember you. One good turn deserves another.'' And now he had to use his own legs, and when he had walked a long way, he came to a large city. There was a great noise and crowd in the streets and a man rode up on horseback, crying aloud.
1: The king's daughter wants a husband, but whoever seeks her hand must perform a hard task, and if he does not succeed, he will forfeit his life.
0: Now many had already made the attempt, but in vain. Nevertheless, when the youth saw the king's daughter, he was so overcome by her great beauty that he forgot all danger, went before the king, and declared himself a suitor. So he was led out to the sea, and a gold ring was thrown into it, before his eyes. Then the king ordered him to fetch this ring up from the bottom of the sea, and added, If you come up again without it, you will be thrown in again and again, until you perish amid the waves. All the people grieved for the handsome youth. Then they went away, leaving him alone by the sea. He stood on the shore and considered what he should do when suddenly he saw three fishes come swimming towards him, and they were the very fishes whose lives he had saved. The one in the middle held a mussel in his mouth, which it laid on the shore at the youth's feet, and when he had taken it up and opened it, There lay the gold ring in the shell. Full of joy, he took it to the king and expected that he would grant him the promised reward. But when the proud princess perceived that he was not her equal in birth, she scorned him and required him first to perform another task. She went down into the garden and strewed with her own hands ten sacks full of millet seed on the grass. And then she said, Tomorrow morning, before sunrise, these must be picked up, and not a single grain be wanting. The youth sat down in the garden and considered how it might be possible to perform this task, but he could think of nothing, and there he sat sorrowfully awaiting the break of day, when he should be led to death. But as soon as the first rays of the sun shone into the garden he saw all the ten sacks standing side by side quite full and not a single grain was missing. The ant king had come in the night with thousands and thousands of ants and the grateful creatures had by great industry picked up all the millet seed and gathered them into the sacks. Presently the king's daughter herself came down into the garden and was amazed to see that the young man had done the task she had given him. But she could not yet conquer her proud heart and said, Although he has performed both the tasks, he shall not be my husband until he had brought me an apple from the tree of life. The youth did not know where the tree of life stood, but he set out and would have gone on forever, as long as his legs would carry him, though he had no hope of finding it. After he had wandered through three kingdoms, he came one evening to a wood and lay down under a tree to sleep. But he heard a rustling in the branches, and a golden apple fell into his hand. At the same time, three ravens flew down to him, perched themselves upon his knee and said, We are the three young ravens, whom you saved from starving when we had grown big and heard that you were seeking the golden apple. We flew over the sea to the end of the world where the tree of life stands and have brought you the apple." The youth, full of joy, set out homewards and took the golden apple to the king's beautiful daughter. Who had now no more excuses left to make? They cut the apple of life in two and ate it together. And then her heart became full of love for him. And they lived in undisturbed happiness to a great age. Let's take a journey with Eeyore Loses a tail" by A. A. Milne. The old grey donkey Eeyore stood by himself in a thistly corner of the forest, his front feet well apart, his head on one side, and thought about things. Sometimes he thought sadly to himself... Why? And sometimes he thought, Wherefore? And sometimes he thought, Inasmuch as which? And sometimes he didn't quite know what he was thinking about. So when Winnie the Pooh came stumping along, Eeyore was very glad to be able to stop thinking for a little in order to say, Oh, how do you do? in a gloomy manner to him. And how are you? said Winnie the Pooh. He shook his head from side to side. Not very how, he
1: said. I don't seem to have felt at all how for a long time. "'Dear,
0: dear,' said Pooh, "'I'm sorry about that. Let's have a look at you.' So Eeyore stood there, gazing sadly at the ground, and Winnie the Pooh walked all round him once. "Why, "'What's happened to your tail?' he said in surprise.
1: What has happened to it? said Eeyore. It
0: isn't there. Are you sure? Well, either a tail is there or it isn't there. You can't make a mistake about it. And yours isn't there. Then what is? Nothing. Let's have a look, said Eeyore. And he turned slowly round to the place where his tail had been a little while ago. And then, finding that he couldn't catch it up, he turned round the other way. Until he came back to where he was at first. And then he put his head down and he looked between his front legs. And at last he said with a long sad
1: sigh. Oh, I believe you're right. Of course I'm right said Pooh. That accounts for a good deal, said Eeyore gloomily, it explains everything, no wonder. You must have left it somewhere, said Winnie the Pooh. Somebody must have taken it, said Eeyore. How
0: like them, he added after a long silence. Pooh felt that he ought to say something helpful about it, but didn't quite know what. So, he decided to do something helpful instead. Eeyore, he said solemnly, I, Winnie the Pooh, will find your tail for you. Thank you, Pooh, answered Eeyore. You're a real friend, said he, not. Like some, he said. So Winnie the Pooh went off to find yours' tail. It was a fine spring morning in the forest as he started out. Little soft clouds played happily in a blue sky, skipping from time to time in front of the sun as if they had come to put it out, and then sliding away suddenly so that the next might have his turn. Through them and between them the sun shone bravely, and a copse which had worn its furs all the year round, seemed old and dowdy now beside the new green lace which the beeches had put on so prettily. Through copse and spinny marched bare, down open slopes of gorse and heather, over rocky beds of streams, up steep banks of sandstone into the heather again. And so at last, tired and hungry, to the hundred-acre wood. For it was in the hundred-acre wood that Owl lived. And if anyone knows anything about anything, said Bear to himself, it's Owl who knows something about something, he said. Or my name's not Winnie the Pooh, he said. Which it is, he added, so there you are. Owl lived at the Chestnuts, an old-world residence of great charm, which was grander than anybody else's, or seemed so to bear, because it had both a knocker and a bell pull. Underneath the knocker there was a notice which said, Please ring if, if an, an answer is required. required. Underneath the bell pull there was a notice which said, Please, Please knock, knock if an answer is not required these notices had been written by Christopher Robin who was the only one in the forest who could spell for Owl wise though he was in many ways able to read and write and spell his own name W-O-L yet somehow went all to pieces over delicate words like measles and buttered toast Winnie the Pooh read the two notices very carefully First from left to right and afterwards, in case he had missed some of it, from right to left. Then, to make quite sure, he knocked and pulled the knocker. And he pulled and knocked the bell rope and he called out in a very loud voice. Owl, I require an answer. It's Bear speaking. And the door opened and Owl looked out. Hello, Pooh, he said. How's things? Terrible and sad said Pooh, because Eeyore, who is a friend of mine, has lost his tail, and he's mopping about it. So could you very kindly tell me how to find it for him?
1: Well, said Owl, the customary procedure in such cases is as follows.
0: What does money proceed cake mean, said Pooh? For I am a bear of very little brain long words bother me. It means the thing to do. As long as it means that, I don't mind, said Pooh humbly.
1: The thing to do is as follows.
0: First, issue
1: a reward, then...
0: Just a moment, said Pooh, holding up his paw. What do we do to this? What you were saying. You sneezed just as you were going to tell me.
1: I didn't sneeze. Yes, you did, Owl. Excuse me, Pooh, I didn't. You can't sneeze without knowing it. Well, you can't know it without something having been sneezed. What I said was first issue a reward.
0: You're doing it again, said Pooh sadly.
1: A reward, said Owl very loudly. "'we write a notice to say "'that we will give a large something "'to anybody who finds Eeyore's tail. "'I
0: see, I see,' said Pooh, nodding his head. "'Talking about large somethings,' he went on dreamily, "'I generally have a small something about now, "'about this time in the morning.' "'And he looked wistfully at the cupboard "'in the corner of Owl's parlour. "'Just a mouthful of condensed milk or what not.' With perhaps a lick of honey
1: Well then, said Owl, we write out this notice and we put it up all over the forest. A lick of honey,
0: murmured Bear to himself. Or or not, as the case may be. And he gave a deep sigh. <sighs> and tried very hard to listen to what Owl was saying. But Owl went on and on using longer and longer words until at last he came back to where he started and he explained that the person
1: to write out this notice was Christopher Robin It was he who wrote the ones on my front door for me Did you see them Pooh?
0: For some time now Pooh had been saying Yes and No in turn with his eyes shut to all that I Al was saying and having said Yes, yes, last time he said, No, not at all. Now, without really knowing what Owl was talking about. Didn't you see them? Hmm? Said Owl, a little surprised. Come and look at them now. So they went outside and Pooh looked at the knocker and the notice below it. And he looked at the bell rope and the notice below it. And the more he looked at the bell rope, the more he felt that... He had seen something like it, somewhere else, some time before.
1: ''Handsome bell rope, isn't it?''
0: said Owl. Pooh nodded. ''It reminds me of something,'' he said,
1: ''but I can't think what. Where did you get it?'' ''I just came across it in the forest. It was hanging over a bush and I thought at first somebody lived there, so I rang it and nothing happened.'' And then I rang it again very loudly and it came off in my hand. And as nobody seemed to want it, I took it home and...
0: Owl, said Pooh solemnly. You made a mistake. Somebody did want it. Who? Eeyore, my dear friend Eeyore. He was... he was fond of it.
1: Fond of it?
0: Attached to it, said Winnie the Pooh sadly. So, with these words, he unhooked it and carried it back to Eeyore. And when Christopher Robin had nailed it on its right place again, Eeyore frisked about the forest, waving his tail so happily that Winnie the Pooh came over all funny and had to hurry home for a little snack of something to sustain him. And wiping his mouth half an hour afterwards, he sang to himself proudly. Who found the tail? I said, Pooh, at a quarter to two. Only it was a quarter to eleven, really. I found the tail. Now, let's take a journey with Mrs. Tiggy Winkle by Beatrix Potter. Once upon a time, there was a little girl called Lucy, who lived at a farm called Little Town. She was a good little girl, only she was always losing her pocket handkerchiefs. One day, little Lucy came into the farmyard crying. Oh, she did cry, so.
2: I've lost my pocket hankin'. Three hankins and a
0: penny. That's another word for a penny for an apron. Have you seen them, Tabby Kitten? The kitten went on washing her white paws, so Lucy asked a speckled hen. Sally Henny Penny, have
2: you found three pocket hankins?
0: But the speckled hen ran into a barn, clucking. I go barefoot, barefoot, barefoot. And then Lucy asked Cock Robin sitting on a twig. Cock Robin looked sideways at Lucy with his bright black eye and he flew over a stile and away. Lucy climbed upon the stile and looked up at the hill behind Little Town, a hill that goes up, up into the clouds as though it had no top. And a great way up the hillside she thought she saw some white things spread upon the grass lucy scrambled up the hill as fast as her stout legs would carry her she ran along a steep pathway up and up until little town was right away down below she could have dropped a pebble down the chimney. Presently she came to a spring bubbling out from the hillside. Someone had stood a tin can upon a stone to catch the water, but the water was already running over, for the can was no bigger than an egg cup. And where the sand upon the path was wet, there were footmarks of a very small person. Lucy ran on and on. The path ended under a big rock. The grass was short and green and there were clothes, props cut from bracken stems with lines of plaited rushes and a heap of tiny clothespins, but no pocket handkerchiefs. But there was something else, a door, straight into the hill and inside it. Someone was singing.
1: Lily white and clean oh with little frills between o oh, Smooth and hot a red or rusty spot Never here be seen, oh
0: Lucy knocked once, twice, and interrupted the song. A little frightened voice called out Who's that? Lucy opened the door, and what do you think there was inside the hill? A nice clean kitchen with a flagged floor and wooden beams, just like any other farm kitchen. Only the ceiling was so low that Lucy's head nearly touched it, and the pots and pans were small, and so was everything there. There was a nice hot singy smell, and at the table with an iron in her hand, stood a very stout, short person, staring anxiously at Lucy. Her print gown was tucked up and she was wearing a large apron over her striped petticoat. Her little black nose went sniffle, sniffle, snuffle and her eyes went twinkle, twinkle and underneath her cap, where Lucy had yellow curls, that little person had... Rickles. Who are you?
1: said Lucy. Have you seen my pocket handkerchief? The little person made bob curtsy. Oh yes, if you please, ma'am. My name is Mrs Tiggy Winkle, and yes, if you please, ma'am, I'm an excellent clear starcher. And she took something out of a clothes basket and
0: spread it on the ironing blanket. What's that thing? said Lucy.
1: That's not my pocket handkerchief. Oh, no, if you please, ma'am, that's a little scarlet waistcoat belonging to Cock Robin. And she ironed
0: it and folded it and put it on one side. Then she took something else off a clothes horse. That isn't
1: my penny, said Lucy. Oh, no, if you please, ma'am, that's a damask tablecloth belonging to Jenny Wren. Look how it's stained with cotton wine, it's very bad to wash, said Mrs Tiggy Winkle.
0: Mrs Tiggy Winkle's nose went sniffle, sniffle, snuffle, and her eyes went twinkle, twinkle, and she fetched another hot iron from the fire. There's one of my pocket hankins, cried Lucy, and there's my penny. Mrs Tiggy Winkle ironed it and goffered it and shook out the frills. "'Ah, oh, that is
2: lovely,' said Lucy. "'And what are those long yellow things with fingers like gloves?'
1: "'Oh, that's a pair of stockings belonging to Sally Henny Penny. "'Look how she's worn the heels out with scratching in the yard. "'She'll very soon go barefoot,' said Mrs Tiggy Winkle.
2: "'Why, well, there's another handkerchief, but it isn't mine, it's red.'
1: Oh no, if you please, mm, that one belongs to old Mrs Rabbit and it did so smell of onions. I've had to wash it separately. I can't get out the smell.
2: There's another one of mine, said Lucy. What are those funny little white things?
1: That's a pair of mittens belonging to Tabby Kitten. I only have to iron them. She washes them herself.
2: There's my last pocket hankin', said Lucy. And what are you dipping into the basin of starch?
1: Oh, they're little dicky shirt fronts belonging to Tom Titmouse. Most terrible particular, said Mrs. Tiggy Winkle. Now I've finished my ironing. I'm going to air some clothes. "'What
2: are these dear soft fluffy things?' said Lucy.
1: "'Oh, those are woolly coats "'belonging to the little lambs at Skelhill.'
2: "'Will their jackets take off?' asked
1: Lucy. "'Oh, yes, if you please, ma'am. "'Look at the sheep mark on the shoulder. "'And here's one marked for Gates Garth "'and three that come from Little Town. "'They're always marked at washing.' said Mrs.
0: Tiggywinkle. And she hung up all sorts and sizes of clothes. Small brown coats of mice and one velvety black moleskin waistcoat and a red tailcoat with no tail belonging to squirrel nutkin and a very much shrunk blue jacket belonging to Peter Rabbit and a petticoat, not marked, that had gone lost in the washing. And at last the basket was empty. Then Mrs Tiggy Winkle made tea, a cup for herself and a cup for Lucy. They sat before the fire on a bench and looked sideways at one another. Mrs Tiggy Winkle's hand holding the teacup was very, very brown and very, very wrinkly with the soap suds. And all through her gown and her cap there were hairpins sticking wrong end out so that Lucy didn't like to sit too near her. When they had finished tea, they tied up the clothes in bundles and Lucy's pocket handkerchiefs were folded up inside her clean pinny and fastened with a silver safety pin. And then they made up the fire with turf and came out and locked the door and hid the key under the door sill. Then away down the hill trotted Lucy and Mrs Tiggy Winkle with the bundles of clothes. All the way down the path little animals came out of the fern to meet them. The very first that they met were Peter Rabbit and Benjamin Bunny and she gave them their nice clean clothes and all the little animals and birds were so very much obliged to dear Mrs Tiggywinkle. Winkle. So that at the bottom of the hill, when they came to the stile, there was nothing left to carry except Lucy's one little bundle. Lucy scrambled up the stile with the bundle in her hand and then she turned to say good night and to thank the washerwoman. But what a very odd thing! Mrs. Tiggy Winkle had not waited either for thanks, or for the washing bill. She was running, running, running up the hill. And where was her white frilled cap? And her shawl? And her gown? And her petticoat? And how small she had grown, and how brown, and covered with prickles. (sighs) Why, Mrs. Tiggy Winkle was nothing but a hedgehog. Now some people say that little Lucy had been asleep upon the stile, but then how could she have found three clean pocket handkerchiefs and a penny pinned with a silver safety pin? And besides, I have seen that door into the back of the hill called Cat Bell's. And besides. I am very well acquainted with dear Mrs Tiggywinkle. I hope you enjoyed all of our stories for this month. And if you subscribe to our Patreon page, you can enjoy even more perks and resources. Here's to stories plenty, that fill our hearts with grace and goodness, hope and light, so that we remember, as my favourite poet says, All shall be well, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Be well, my friends, be well, and join me next time for Journey with story. music and post-production was by Colette Jonas.